What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Sam Donks, the weekly NBA show over here at Slab Stocks. I'm your host, Sam. Uh, tons of NBA action going on lately. Of course, over the weekend, everyone was focused on the Super Bowl, but now we're back into prime NBA time of the year. So let's get going. All right, we're starting out by comparing two anonymous players. We did this a couple weeks ago. We're doing it again today. Objectively speaking, both of them having very good seasons. In broad terms, both relatively similar statistically, but from the public perspective, the general public says that one of these is an MVP candidate, while the other has been a large disappointment thus far. And on the surface, I don't disagree with either of those assessments. But I do think that this is a good example of how the narrative can get a bit overblown as it has led to a large disparity in these two players' card markets. First, take a quick hitting look at the stats. Player A is enjoying his highest scoring output of his career, 29.3 points per game. That's with an extremely efficient true shooting of 67.6%. Player B also scoring at a prolific rate, currently sitting as the eighth leading scorer per game in the league, but it is his lowest scoring output of the last three seasons. He's sitting at 27.1 points per game with a less efficient 61.3% true shooting, which, by the way, is still great efficiency and well above the league average. Of course, it's not all about scoring. Some of the other counting stats are strong too. Player A with 2.7 assists per game, which means it's approximated that when he's on the court, he's accounted as assisting on 13.7% of his teammates' made field goals. He's also rebounding at a high rate, 10.7 per game in total. Uh, the gobbling up 16.8% of available rebounds when he's on the court. Player B is quite a bit more involved with generating offense for his teammates with fifth, uh, with 5.8 assists per game, accounting for approximately 26.8% of his teammates made field goals while he's on the court. And he's gobbling up slightly more rebounds with 11.2 per game. And that's just about the same exact rebound rate at 16.5%. Neither of these guys are, are simply empty stats players. Player A has a very, very strong net rating of 11.4 points, uh, which does come from his team sporting a prolific offensive rating of 118 points per 100 possessions when he's on the court and a similarly strong defensive rating of 106.6 points per 100 possessions when he's on the court. Uh, very, very good overall, obviously. And player B is slightly better in that regard with an excellent net rating of 13.3 points. That coming from a league leading offensive rating of 120.6 points per 100 possessions while he's on the court. But also a slightly worse defensive rating than player A. His team's defensive rating is 107.3 points per 100 possessions. Which, for context, that would be equal to the fourth best defense in the league last season. So still, both very strong on both sides of the ball. They're used just about the same on the respective teams, 32.8% usage for player A, while player B is handling a bit less of his team's share at 32.1% usage. A smattering of other stats generally favor player A with a box plus minus of 8.2 versus player B's 6.1. VORP, that is value over replacement player, rates these two almost equally, 1.6 versus 1.5. And then player A is leading the league in player impact estimate at 20.6 while player B is down in the cellar as the eighth best player in the league by player impact estimate of a 17.5. 
should be noted that obviously eighth is still very strong. Players rating below that mark in the league include Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, Anthony Davis, James Harden, Jason Tatum, and Paul George. So it goes without saying, these two are among the very elite. Also, this is relevant. At 26 years of age, player A is by far the most important player on his team, which is the top-ranked team in the Eastern Conference at a 17-7 and record. And then player B is also 26 years old, also the most important player on his team, which is sitting at second place in the Eastern Conference at 15-8, and which if you haven't figured out by now who these players are, that might have given it away. They are, of course... Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo, Embiid being player A, Giannis being player B. So both of these players are enjoying very, very strong seasons. Joel Embiid having the best season of his career by a rather large margin, and Giannis having arguably his worst statistical output of the past three years. And still, they're having remarkably similar campaigns so far, and both among the very best players in the league thus far. But if we look at their respective Prism rookie card markets, the charts tell wildly different stories. We'll first look at Joel Embiid's market dating back to the beginning of August, which is several weeks before the NBA bubble. Uh, in the beginning of August, the market was still riding an all-time hot wave of popularity. And then shortly after that, people began selling off to pocket profits before the season ended, which is perfectly reasonable. And it also led to a sizable drop overall in the entire NBA card market. In Embiid's market, uh, he started with a 48% drop in prices from the beginning of August to the end of September. Again, that's his 2014 Prism Base PSA 10 rookie card that we're looking at. And from the end of September up to this present day, the same card has risen in value approximately 217%. Uh, just an incredible rise in only four months. By the way, this chart was created with auctions only. There were, only there were 99 auctions on this specific card in that time frame. So his market has been going to the moon on the back of his MVP hopeful campaign. And I should say, I've mentioned MVP twice. I'm quite certain that LeBron's going to win MVP without much competition. But Joel Embiid is one of the additional names that you hear most in the conversation, at least here in the early running. An extremely different tale in the Giannis rookie card market. From the beginning of August to the end of September, we see a very similar story with the market-wide sell-off going on. Giannis's prism-based PSA 10 rookie card dropped 53% in value. And then in the preceding four months up to the present day, the same card has remained relatively flat, gaining a whopping 9% in value overall. Uh, overall, from August 3rd until today, or, or rather Sunday, I should say, was when I was compiling all this data, Embiid's Prism rookie card is up overall 65%, and Giannis is down 49%. Now, there's reasons for all of this. Now, some of this difference can be attributed to the difference in these players' public perception heading into the NBA bubble. You know, the expectation was that Giannis could be on the way to his first NBA championship while Embiid was getting ready to finish off a season. That was a large disappointment to the general NBA community as he was playing on a team that was embroiled in a lot of internal turmoil and was getting ready to fire head coach Brett Brown. So, there was quite a large difference in the heights that these two cards achieved during the extremely hot NBA market of last summer. Then, heading into the playoffs, the Sixers' season ended pretty much as expected, while the Bucks' season ended a bit earlier than expected and continued the fair critique against Giannis and the Bucks as being a regular season team whose weakness has become much more pronounced in the playoffs. And I think that's what's continued on into this season with these players' markets. 
Despite Joel Embiid and the 76ers having been equally disappointing the last three playoffs, just the same as the Milwaukee Bucks, and having been actually much worse in each of those playoffs, it's just not traded the same by the media. And so we still see a good deal of optimism in Embiid's market, which is reflected in its continued growth. That optimism just clearly isn't shared in Giannis's market as this as the narrative continues to be the same. That we'll just have to wait until we see what happens in the playoffs. And I totally understand the critique. I also believe that winning back-to-back league MVPs while having extremely disappointing disappointing playoff campaigns in those seasons is clearly working against Giannis's market too, which again is very understandable. Now I really believe that the growing optimism around Embiid completely warranted and he absolutely should be trending in the direction that he is he's clearly one of the best and most gifted centers in the game and could go down as one of the best centers ever provided he stays healthy and i also think the criticism around the bucks over the past few years is completely warranted and well deserved now all that being said the bucks have been working on their weaknesses from the past few playoff runs all season long and before the season the whole team preached a process over results mindset for the regular season and that's really been showing in the early going so far they've completely restructured the offense going from a five out offense meaning that all five players were setting up around the arc with Giannis doing a large amount of the playmaking from the top uh, to this season now they're working in a four out system with Giannis being in the dunker spot quite a lot and while that's led to a sizable dip in Giannis's usage rate in scoring, it's also increased the offensive efficiency with the Bucks leading the league in offensive rating. And even while Giannis has been having a top 10 player in the league type of season so far, he's clearly been very uncomfortable. And by his own admission, he's still trying to figure the system out, but it's been getting better for him. And the Bucks have been revamping the defense too, which is still a work in progress. Of course, all of this is an attempt to flip the narrative once they reach the postseason, which I don't know if it's going to work out that way, but it's certainly promising to see Budenholzer trying something different for once. But the narrative and the general public sentiment remains very surface level, and the general message is that Giannis's season has been a disappointment, while Embiid's season has been great, even in spite of the team's results from the past three playoffs being very similar and their on-court output this season also being very similar, both on an individual level and a team level. Still, uh, we're seeing the same sort of story wherever we look in these players' markets. Now, I'm just using dates in the same general vicinity as I did in the last charts to look at how these players' markets have trended, and we can see similar patterns. For instance, Joel Embiid's select concourse PSA 10 rookie is up 127%, while Giannis's select concourse PSA 10 rookie is down 28%. Giannis's NBA Hoops PSA 10 rookie is down 47% in that general time frame. There haven't been a ton of sales for Embiid's equivalent card, so it's hard to get a perfect parallel. But since December 1st, Embiid's Hoops PSA 10 rookie card has risen 179% in value. Very few sales, though, so you got to kind of take that with a grain of salt. We can look at some of the higher end cards available too. And there's been, a, you know, there's a ton of caveats that you need to apply with this data due to these rarely going on auction. Also, just generally fewer number of sales. But looking at Embiid's National Treasures BGS 9 rookie, one sold on July 23rd for $3,250. And then there were two sales on January 23rd and 24th at an average price of $5,014, which approximates a 54% rise in value. Looking for a comparably rare card for Giannis, I'm looking at his 2013 National Treasures RPA featuring Kobe Bryant, which is one of my favorite cards ever. And no, I don't own it. Uh, but on July 24th, 
It sold for $3,350. And on January 25th, the same card went on a best offer of $3,500. That particular card being numbered one out of 99. And that's all good only for an approximately 4% rise in value over the time period. So overall, pretty stagnant, clearly. And then looking toward non-rookie markets, Giannis's 2016 PSA 10 Optic Hollow, so that's the first year of Optic. His market has dropped 73% since the beginning of August. But honestly, that might say more about the first year Optic craze from last year than anything. And uh, since, since Embiid just isn't as in demand as far as volume of sales goes, I gave up on trying to find some comparable sales data for him. But I think the overall trends are pretty clear. Uh, now, I, I do think that any talk of overvalued or undervalued is is pretty much asinine. You know, value is what it is. It's determined by the market as a whole. So I don't think that Embiid is overvalued. I also don't think Giannis is undervalued. They just are what they are. But seeing these corresponding trends, it's pretty clear that the overall public perception of these players is greatly coloring their card market values. Is Giannis a worse player than a year ago? No, not by a long shot, but he was one of last year's league darlings and he just isn't that way this year. But when he doesn't win MVP this year, and assuming the Bucs don't beat the Lakers in the finals, if those are the two teams in the finals, I, I hope the Bucs are in the finals, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see some of the current anti-Giannis sentiment start to shift into a pro-Giannis sentiment entering next year or beyond. So I guess you know, long-term, this could be a good buying opportunity if you have the money for it. But in general terms, I just really think this whole study has been very telling about how the public perception of a player can drastically alter the player's card market, especially since both of these two players are having remarkably similar seasons overall. I wanted to parlay that discussion and that general takeaway into another brief example of the same thing playing out with a different player. Taking a look at anonymous player A and anonymous player B, 22.5 points per game for player A on a very good 61.6% true shooting. Player B has been better with 23.7 points per game and shooting an even better 63.3% true shooting. Player A with 2.1 assists per game, an assist percentage of 11.9. That goes along with his 6.3 rebounds per game and a rebound percentage of 10.4%. Again, player B has been better, 2.7 assists per game, assisting on 13.9% of his teammates made field goals while he's in the game, and also almost an extra rebound per game at 7.2 rebounds per, gobbling up 10.8% of available rebounds while he's on the court. Usage of player A is sitting at 29.1%, box plus minus 2.1, value over replacement player 0.7, player impact estimate of 14.1. None of that really knocks your socks off a bit too much, but if I told you this was a rookie, that might color your your uh, perception of it a little bit differently. And then player B, who is a second year player, he has a usage of 32.1%, box plus minus of 3.2, value over replacement player of 0.9, and then a player impact estimate of 14.2. Pretty much every single way that you dice it, player B is playing much better than player A. And da 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 da. They're the exact same player. I've been comparing Zion Williamson's rookie campaign to his sophomore campaign, and we can see he's been better in pretty much every way. But here's the difference. Zion's net rating last year was a positive 5.1 points per 100 possessions, and his net rating this year is a negative 0.5 points per 100 possessions. Now, a lot of that disparity simply has to do with trading out Drew Holiday for Eric Bledsoe, which is a rather seismic shift in the on-court product. 
In the minutes that Zion shared with Drew Holiday last year, they had a net rating of plus 9.4, whereas in the minutes shared with Bledsoe this year, they have a net rating of only plus 0.5. Due in large part to that trade, the Pelicans have underwhelmed this year and are sitting below 500, and they have the fourth worst record in the Western Conference. But obviously, that trade was not about improving this season. And as far as the future goes, the most important pairing on this roster really is just Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. And they still have a net rating of plus 4.1 in their minutes when they're on the court together this season. So that's not bad at all. But my impression is that public perception says Zion has generally been a bit of a disappointment in his sophomore campaign. And I really don't think that's true at all. Looking at the most recently available auction data on Zion's Prism Silver PSA 10 rookie cards, we've seen a market dip of 32% going back to the beginning of August. I don't think that this is a, a bad thing really for Zion's market to be dipping. I don't also don't think it was a bad thing that Giannis's market has dipped either. You know, it's good to have the market reset, especially for two players who really were riding a great deal of hype last season but I believe that their market downturns have come more as a result of their media coverage than on the basis of their actual on-court performance. Both still have sterling silver futures ahead of them, but at the moment, the market has soured a bit. I do not expect that to continue forever, and you can just do with that what you will. Uh, continuing the conversation with Zion, Last year, hot on the heels of the 2019 Prism Basketball release, the very first Zion Williamson Prism Silver Raw auction ended on November 27th at $765. A month later, by the end of 2019, the same card had dropped just over 30% and was sitting at an average auction price of $532. We are seeing the same thing with this year's hottest rookie in the hottest new release, NBA Hoops. Uh, the very first auction of this particular card ended at $220. Of course, uh, that was obscene, and the market is corrected rather quickly. Just four days later, these are regularly selling in the $70 range, and Sunday's average auction price was $83. Just something to keep in mind when a new product releases. Uh, FOMO, that is the, the fear of missing out, that's what's going to be driving those initial sales. I'm guessing that none of you were buying LaMelo Ball Hoops Rookie at its over $200 price point, or price point, or probably not even at the $100 price point for that matter. And you can always wait for the initial excitement to wane a little bit. Just something to keep in mind as we move throughout the season as we start seeing more new products hitting shelves. Lastly, let's take a look at this week's starting five, focusing on five guys who are still starting out their careers, either in their first or their second, or even sometimes in their third seasons. First up, the very same player we just ended on, that's LaMelo Ball. Uh, the youngest Ball brother is very, very good. At just 19 years of age, he's only playing just under 27 minutes per game, but per 36 minutes, he's averaging nearly 19 points, eight rebounds, eight assists, and almost two steals. The three-point shooting has been a bit rough at 34%, but his true shooting is sitting exactly at the 2021 league average of 54%, which is not bad at all for the league's third youngest player, especially since coming into the season, the assumption was that he'd be a very inefficient shooter to start his career. The only teenagers in NBA history to match his current per-game totals, not 36, not per 36 totals, but his per-game totals, so some of these guys play more minutes, the only players teenagers to match those totals with equal or better efficiency over the course of an entire season are Kobe Bryant, Anthony Davis, Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, Kyrie Irving, Zion Williamson, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Marvin Bagley. Pretty good company. Let's hope that he's closer to the Kobe Bryant side of things than the side of the Marv bag. 
Next up, the young fella from New York, Rowan Barrett Jr. He's among the league leaders in minutes per game, and the counting stats look decent enough. 17 points, six rebounds, three assists. Uh, of course, the knock on him has always been his extremely inefficient shooting. Career to date, his true shooting percentage is sitting at just a hair under 49%, which really is horrific. Uh, but for perspective, due to the shortened season last year, he has played in just 81 games, which obviously means he's played just about one season worth of basketball so far. So still very early in his career. And wouldn't you know it, he's taken a bit of a leap in efficiency of late. Going back to the middle of January, over the past 13 games, he's shooting at a better-than-league average efficiency with a true shooting of 58.3%. Not bad at all, league average being 54%. Obviously, that was a bit of an arbitrary number of games and, and somewhat small sample size, but it is something to monitor. You know, Nice to see him putting together a good chunk of games with that sort of efficient output. Next up, Lou Dort from Oklahoma City. You all remember him from last year's playoffs as the guy that came in and slapped the brakes on James Harden. And really, it is his defense that puts him on the league-wide radar. But he's been a bit better than just a defensive stopper. He's shooting seven three-pointers per 36 minutes, and he's hitting at 36.5%. A true 3 and D player, perhaps? He is trending in that direction. Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer put out a good video the other day detailing his offensive progress, and you should just go and find that if you're interested in seeing more about what he's been doing on offense. Uh, interesting speculative prospect who is still relatively cheap, not saying that he's undervalued or anything like that, or even that I'm recommending him as a buy. He is mostly a defensive specialist, which still kind of likely limits his card ceiling, but he is quickly becoming something of a cult hero, and he's improving on offense. So I don't know, you know, just a player that I've been noticing a lot more of lately. Next, I've got Emmanuel quickly in the exact same spot as I had him two weeks ago, only this time he's trending down and not due to his on-court output. Over the past two weeks, in only 22 minutes per game, he's averaged 16 points, three rebounds, and three assists while shooting 40% from three with a true shooting percentage of 60%. And he's been much better than Alfred Payton over that period of time. But... The Knicks just traded for Derrick Rose, reuniting him with Tom Thibodeau. So he's going to be getting as many minutes as he can handle. And then it just looks like there will be fewer minutes available for quickly, assuming, of course, that Alfred Payton still is getting a somewhat healthy dose of playing time. Who knows how that rotation shakes out, but at the very least, quickly should be getting less burn. Of course, his future still looks fairly bright, especially for a guy that flew under the radar going 25th overall in this year's draft. So as cards start becoming available for him, I guess they might be available really relatively cheaply if he's just not getting as much visibility in the coming months. And then last up, the pride of Greenfield, Wisconsin, Tyler Hero. Uh, the Heat have been struggling in the early going, leading the league in turnovers, which has really crippled their offense considering how motion and pass-heavy it is, and their tough-nosed defense only ranks 15th in the league by defensive rating. Hero is contributing to all of that with a turnover percentage of 15%, and in his nearly 34 minutes per game, the Heat have a net rating of negative 5.2 points per 100 possessions. But my guess is that there's still some room for optimism. Uh, for instance, Hero's three-point shooting is way down to 34%, and that feels like it should rebound here at some point because last year he hit at 39% from deep on seven attempts per 36 minutes. Plus, it's the entire Heat squad that has been struggling. It's definitely not just Tyler Hero. You know, when a team goes into one of these ruts, it's basically unavoidable all around the roster. 
pretty much every player is struggling since their finals appearance. And I wouldn't bet against them all getting hot together. You know, the team's just too good to keep playing this way. So we'll have to wait and see. But at this point, Hero's stock has been trending down. Something to monitor for an exciting young player in the big Miami marketplace. All right, that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've got another fun week of NBA action heading up for us. Currently, there's a whole lot of turmoil over whether the All-Star game is going to be played. In any case, we're going to have some All-Stars being announced relatively soon, so keep your eyes on that. In the meantime, please keep watching my videos. Like, subscribe, tell your friends. And uh, again, thank you so much for giving me your time. We'll see you next week.